Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to the Friday edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News, where today we're broadcasting live from the Freedom Phone studios here in Washington, D.C. Yes, we're big fans of the Freedom Phone and our good friend Eric Finman. And we've got quite a show for you. Congressman Andy Biggs is on the show. You know what he did? He just filed impeachment articles in the House. Uh, not against Joe Biden. I know you were thinking that. Nope, nope, nope. He's trying to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary, Alondro Mayorkas, who clearly, after going down to the border yesterday, is having a bad day. Why? Because there is leaked audio of him telling the Border Patrol agents that he met with privately yesterday that the situation at the border is unsustainable and, quote, we're going to lose if it doesn't stop. We're going to lose. What a difference from the rhetoric of Joe Biden or Mayorkas when he's in public telling two different tales, depending the audience he's talking to. That will ask Andy Biggs whether that and all the other things that we're hearing are contributing to his desire to impeach and remove a cabinet secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas. That is a big moment, big story. The border numbers are extraordinary. They're outrageous. 212,000 plus illegal immigrants were apprehended last month. That is 13% up and more than a two-decade high. It is a crisis, and it's a crisis not only of humanity, of people coming across, of the border being penetrated, of security being compromised with COVID, and anywhere from 10 to 40% of different illegal aliens testing positive for COVID at different places in Texas along the border. It is a public health crisis of epic proportions, and we're going to talk to the congressman about that. And then we're going to introduce you to a woman, a Republican, running in a blue district in the state of Washington, a blue state for Congress, who's raising lots of money, creating a lot of excitement in her state. That maybe a plus six Democratic district could flip next year with a Republican tidal wave in elections. Right now, Republicans have about a two-point advantage in the generic ballot. That is a very important mark uh, this far out from the election, a sign that maybe the country is not satisfied with the Democratic rule, the Democratic policies, the Democratic experiences. And so we're going to introduce you to Elizabeth Kressemeyer. You will like her a lot. She is a real an everyday mom, a teacher, a PhD, an educator. And she has a lot to say about the state of our schools, about the state of our country, and what real everyday mom and dads want 
for their family. And guess what? It's not inflation. It's not critical race theory. It's not higher gas prices. It is, as she says, I'm sure, I've heard her say this before, common sense. So Elizabeth Kreisemeyer will be here in just a minute. You'll like her as well. Back to back with Andy Biggs, the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. But before we get to that, I want to just point out one story that I wrote this morning because it may help explain. I've had a lot of people say to me in the last 12 to 24 hours, what the hell happened in Afghanistan? How did the Taliban overrun the Afghan forces so quickly? We're not even out of the country and already we're losing all the ground. What happened? The answer is that Joe Biden did the same thing that Donald Trump was going to do. He he continued with the plan to draw U.S. troops out of Afghanistan after a 20-year war. I think President Trump would have done the same thing. But the difference is, and this is an important one, President Trump had a plan while the troops were withdrawing to continue to bomb the stuffing out of the Taliban use predators, use Air Force jets and fighter pilots to keep relentless pressure on the Taliban every time they advanced and made a military maneuver so that they would come back to the table, come back to the table and negotiate rather than spend all their time like they're doing now overrunning the country. We took a look at sorties. That's the fancy name for bombing runs. And they are way down since Joe Biden took over in January after two very relentless years where Donald Trump, President Trump, basically bombed the Taliban to the negotiating table. They were so tired of getting their key people knocked off by predators and Air Force jet runs that they came to the table. The story starts with a great anecdote, one that former President Trump just told us a few weeks ago when he was down in Phoenix about his conversation with the Taliban leader and the promise that if the Taliban leader didn't get a real legitimate peace deal going with the Afghan government, the first bombs would drop on his house and his family in his home village. That was the sort of pressure that the Republican administration put on, and it is missing from the Biden approach as we withdraw our troops. That is why the Taliban have moved. They have no fear. There's nothing coming in over the air. There's no air support for the Afghan troops. And as a result, the Taliban are just thumbing their nose and they're overrunning a very weak Afghan army. The future of Afghanistan looks bleak, but the truth of the matter is these sudden advances made by the Taliban could easily have been changed by a sustained U.S. air power campaign. Even as we drew out our troops, We could have given the Taliban a reason to sit at the table rather than lose all of their top leaders as the way the Trump team was doing it. Big difference. We say elections have consequences. Afghanistan is a great example. Both presidents supported withdrawing troops. One had a very different and aggressive plan to keep the Taliban in check until they got a peace deal. The other just closed up shop and have allowed all those Afghan forces that have fought alongside us for years to be slaughtered and overtaken by a very radical, women-hating, freedom-hating Taliban. That's the truth. The numbers are there. You can click on the story and see the sortie numbers, and you will see how much they drop. And there's even a quote from one of the Air Force commanders saying, yeah, it's hit or miss these days. We don't really run as much. Well, that explains why the Taliban have moved so easily. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, first up... Congressman Andy Biggs, good friend of the show. He's trying to impeach a cabinet secretary under Joe Biden, the Homeland Security Secretary. We're going to talk to him why and what's going on at the border. And then a very unique candidate, a woman running for the 6th District in the state of Washington. It's a plus six blue district. But Elizabeth Kressemeyer is here to tell us what she is up to and why 
She thinks she has a fighting chance in the 2020 election. If that district goes red, there will be a red wave across the country. We'll get you a chance to meet this candidate and what motivates her in just a few seconds. All right, let's take that commercial break. We'll be right back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special friend, a very special guest, Congressman Andy Biggs from the great state of Arizona, the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, here to talk about all the things going on at the border. Congressman, good to have you with us. Thanks, John. It's always good to be with you. Good to visit with you. It you're is. real. You're a real hero oh, for, for many of us. Oh, Thanks for what you do. You're very kind. I love what I do, and I'm, I get blessed to talk to people like you all day, so it doesn't get any better than that. So... You made some big news this week. You introduced impeachment articles against the Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas. Tell us a little bit about what led up to that decision, what the reaction's been. Well, what led up to it is since Mayorkas has been uh, in office, we have seen a steady record of illegal immigrants coming across our border every month. And so I knew that we'd be sitting around 210,000 for July And having been down to the border many times and see what's going on, the number of opioid-related overdose deaths is way up. The number of drug seizures is up, but we're still getting only 10 to 15 percent of of the actual catch, according to my CBP informants. The fact that there is nothing, no policy change coming from this administration to make things better. And the fact that, quite frankly, what Mayorkas has done is he's He's, he's tried to get rid of 287G, which is where local law enforcement can work and cooperate with ICE to enforce our immigration laws. He has told ICE that they're going to de-emphasize enforcement. He has also basically in, enticed and provided incentives for people to come across here, telling them that they can come on over. And in one instance, he said, well, well, just wait, not yet. But everybody knows that they're coming in. And then one thing that's really huge here, and it's directly related to the number of COVID people coming across our border, people with COVID, and that is they weakened Title 42, which was this was the law that was put in place during the Trump administration, which gave the CBP Border Patrol agents the authority to basically prevent entry to anybody because of a, of a health emergency, which is what we're in. We've been in for over a year. And what they did is they basically weakened that. And so now if you're a child under age eight, you're going to get in regardless of of what you have. If you come across unaccompanied uh, or in many family uh, groups settings, they're going to let you in. And so those people's that, that type of thing is incentivized people to come. So, John, last month, over 19,000 unaccompanied minors last month alone. And that's because of the policies. And it's so we're much less safe, much less secure as a nation. And our border is absolutely open and controlled, quite frankly, by the cartels on the on the southern side. 
uh, since Mayorkas has been in office. So so it's past time for him to go. I've been calling on him for to resign for about five months now because of his terrible policies. It's pretty remarkable. I, you take the numbers. Uh, Mayorkas went down to the border yesterday, announced 212,672 illegal aliens were arrested or apprehended in July. To put that in perspective, in July of last year, when President Trump was in charge and the border wall was up, 40,000. 929. So literally five-fold increase over July. When you see that sort of increase, can the CPB really even keep up? I mean, we're asking them to do the apprehensions, then take care of them if they have COVID, then put them on a plane, do some background research to justify them putting on an, you know, a U.S. airliner. Is the CPB just being intentionally overrun here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when I talk to the agents, whenever I go down, and I go down fairly often, their morale is so low, John, because yeah. they're just getting beat up. I mean, they'll say, you know, we're getting our tail kicked here because they can't do their job. Their job is to basically provide a police function and arrest people who are entering the country illegally. Well, they're told they can't do that. Um, not only are they told they can't do that, they spend all their time processing or in care facilities in some instances. And uh, so is it negligence? Yeah, I can't believe it's negligent. Nobody is this incompetent that they could be so negligent. This this seems to be consistent with an open borders policy that the Biden administration campaigned on and that Mayorkas um, has talked about in those types of terms since he was uh, made secretary. And so, so, for instance, he says, we want to be considered empathetic and compassionate. That's going to be our most important criteria, our, our, our characteristic that we want people to know us by is that we're uh, empathetic and and sympathetic to these people who are coming across the border illegally. What that tells me is that that's why we have our transition facilities are now uh, welcome centers. You know, you come on in and we're going to efficiently disperse you into the interior of the United States of America instead of sending you back home to your own country. Um, yesterday, I had the attorney general from Texas on, Ken Paxton, and he said, Joe Biden is the single greatest super spreader in the entire COVID pandemic. When you look at how quickly Delta has spread across the United States and where its early, its early concentration of spread is Texas, do you have any doubt that the open border situation there, the, the surge has created this COVID surge? No doubt in my mind whatsoever. I mean, just a couple of quick numbers, 7,000, over 7,000 COVID-infected people were released into McAllen, Texas alone. Jeez. And that's what we know. I've been to facilities where they told me, I think one facility, they had just brought in 18 adolescent males because that's the type of facility that they had. They take right. care of, of teenage males. And they had brought in 18 the weekend before I got there. And they said 16 had COVID. Mm. And the other two, they had to go ahead and put them in quarantine because they anticipated that they would get COVID sure. because they'd been transferred being transported with those folks. So there's not a doubt in my mind that this spread is happening. And you saw the internal documents that came out that said 20%, and I imagine that that's a low estimate, 20% of all these people being released in the country have COVID. So that to me, that's a breach of Title 42. That's To me, that's a crime. That's a misdemeanor that Mallorca should be removed from office from. Yeah, it's such a remarkable moment to take a look at these statistics and realize that there's something we could have done. This isn't this doesn't take rocket science to figure out that closing the border when COVID's rising makes sense, and yet we're not doing that at all. One of the frustrations that I know Republicans have had and many others have is we can't get any 
information, any data on where all the uh, illegal aliens who are being released into the interior of the country, where they're actually being sent, where they're being released to. Uh, do you think there's any opportunity for Republicans to get that data? And how important would that be for understanding, you know, the, the threat assessment from what's going on right now? Well, uh, you know, this has been part and parcel of the problem with Mayorkas is, is we've requested, I've requested in letters yes. with colleagues. And they've not responded to any letter other than to say, well, you know, basically go pound sand. So for us to get that information, we need the Democrats on board saying, well, you know, we'd like that information. I can tell you there are some Democrats in Congress that would like to know. And there are far too many Democrats in Congress that would not like to know because then they would be held accountable. So right now for us, John, it's important that we keep pushing uh, magnify the narrative, let people know what's going on, because when the critical mass starts calling for answers here, and it may be another month or two of, of similar uh, outrageous numbers. I mean, good grief, John, six months of outrageous numbers. But it may take another month or two. But if we get critical mass, this administration will have to respond. They'll either have to respond um, with Mayorkas's taking the blame and the fall on this thing, because Biden doesn't want to take the fall. Sure. Neither does Kamala Harris. But yeah. somebody's going to have to give us the numbers. Yeah. They have to. No, it's such an important thing for every community just to know where where the COVID potential threat is, where crime threat is. You've talked so much about how much the illegal elements in the, in foreign countries are benefiting from this, the drug cartels, the fentanyl pushers in China that push it through the cartels, the sex traffickers. I think earlier this week, a record nearly three tons of meth and fentanyl were seized at a single bust on the border. How much of a national security failure is this that we're allowing all of these illegal cartels, many who we took a big bite out of during the Trump years, to get back and create revenue streams and create business again? Uh, It's an absolute dereliction of duty, that's for sure. I mean, and you know, you take a look at that record um, drug seizure of a a number of days ago, and we're still only catching 10 to 15 percent. Yeah. 10 to 15 percent is what the estimate is that we're catching. So does that give you an idea how big this is? And then the briefings I've had, I make it pretty clear that at least for the last three years, that cartels have had a presence in virtually every city in America, Mm. big or small. And so a lot of that's uh, through human trafficking, a lot of that's through the drug trafficking, drug trade, but the cartels um, are now really uh, controlling that southern border and um, they're making money. I think that, yeah, I, you hear all kinds of numbers. I've heard this low estimate of $250 million a month to $400 million a month. Yeah. And it's just phenomenal amounts of money, phenomenal amounts of power that they hold. They, they, uh, they're controlling those, what they call the plazas along the, the southern border uh, on their side uh, coming in. And my goodness, we're in real jeopardy here. We haven't even talked about people on the terrorist watch list that have been apprehended in the last year. So it's really quite a thing that's happening here. And, and these guys own it. I mean, Biden owns it. I mean, they, they keep saying, well, it's Trump. Well, I mean, you, you pointed out early on, a year ago under Donald yeah. Trump, it was 40,000 people. 40,000. And now you got 40,000 and now you got 212,000, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's unbelievable. It, it is remarkable. There's so many other comparisons like that. 
you take the inflation rate, 1.4% when Donald Trump handed the keys to the White House to Joe Biden. It's 5.4% now. And uh, you know, other metrics all across here in terms of um, uh, the ratio of jobs to unemployed, all the different things that you see. Uh, how big a firestorm are the Democrats going to face in the 2022 election? Is this like the perfect storm for Republicans to really uh, illustrate to the country the, the impact of these more you know, far left neoliberal Democrats that run the party right now? Yeah, John, absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, gas has gone up over a buck yeah. a gallon at the pump under under Joe Biden. And now he's asking OPEC. To, to increase its production so we can get oil when we have plenty of resources here in the United States of America. So I think people sense it and, and they're going to look at they're going to look at inflation. They're going to look at economy and jobs. They're going to look at the border issues. They're going to look at defunding the police issues and the crime, rising violent crime. Yeah. You, you've got district attorneys in some of these Democrat run cities that don't want to prosecute violent crime for Pete's sakes. Uh, you got CRT. This is something that Eight months ago, John, you and I might have been the only two people in the country that really knew what CRT was. And now it's a top five issue across the spectrum. So so you look at it and you say the Democrats have really put themselves in in a lot of political peril here and they're not inclined to stop. You know, you might see it. Yeah. Four point five trillion dollars of spending approved in a single day by the Senate. I mean, trillions become the new billion. It's just amazing to think about the record that will be sitting in front of the American people in, in just about 12, 14 months when election is in full swing. The economy, how concerned are you by the inflation pressures? How concerned are you by the gap between the number of jobs and the number of people even available to fill jobs? And I want to put another one out there, which is there's an awful lot of focus in recent months by economists on the ratio of value to earnings, meaning that a lot of companies are valued on the stock market way, way above, many, many, many multiples above. Should everyone have a sense of agita about the economy right now? Yeah, I think everybody should be concerned. I think when Yellen said and and the Fed said, hey, we think inflation is transitory, I said, that's crazy. And then they came out and said, well, it may be last a little longer than we thought. It is right now inflation. It's now a feature of where we sit. It's now it's now put down roots in our economy. And, there, and the reason it's put down roots is because of, of a couple of things, not not the least of which is that we've cheapened our, our money. We've basically devalued U.S. dollar by and we put out five trillion dollars in the last 12 months. And then we then the Senate just approved another four and a half trillion. And if that if that kicks in. If that passes the House, which I'm praying it doesn't, we're going to work like crazy to stop it. But if that were to happen, uh, John, that would be a, a feature now of our economy is that our currency is value is, is almost without value. And so that will cause prices to go up. The other aspect of that, too, is um, is, is the mere fact that energy we, we're not energy independent anymore. We're, we're going yeah. energy dependent, which means everybody can control that. If you, you remember the shocks of the 70s, the OPEC shocks, the oil shocks of the 70s. They really were a catalyst for a lot of that inflation. Then you throw in the, the, uh, the incentives not to work that are now in our economy and the incentives uh, that, that this administration wants to put in to actually move jobs back offshore – which President Trump had brought home with his tax and regulatory policies, they're trying to eliminate those tax and regulatory uh, provisions, which will force jobs out. So 
you you just have this wicked combination of of uh, people unemployed, uh, uh, and a lot of them are choosing to be unemployed. There are jobs out there, sending jobs overseas, inflation, and then the Biden administration talking about tax increases. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be really concerned. I am really concerned. Yeah, there's no doubt. And of course, as you've pointed out, and you're one of the first I remember pointing out, inflation is in itself a tax increase on the American uh, uh, taxpayer because they're paying so much more for whether it's steak or gas or whatever. You had a very important tweet today that I, I caught my attention right away because I think a lot of people with all the other distractions and drama going on in the world aren't paying attention to this. But you you wrote, Biden needs to stay away from prescription drug prices. Everything he touches gets more expensive. Talk about your concern with how Joe Biden's about to approach uh, the, the, the prescription drug debate. Well, he's going to create artificial scarcity. And well, I should say it's, it's going to be real scarcity, but it will be unnatural. That's a better way of saying it. It's not a natural scarcity that would happen in the marketplace. And scarcity, when you have demand, actually drives cost up. And that's what he's going to do. And he's, he's going to try to get in and do some price fixing and that type of thing. And, and when you do that, um, Richard Nixon found out that uh, by trying to fix prices and cap prices, it, it, it created scarcity. And it actually f- it fueled higher cost in every area that he was he was trying to to regulate and so that's what's going to happen there and i think republicans and this gets back to your earlier question too john republicans can't just sit back and say we're going to run against how bad the 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 policies of the left were we have to have some real concrete solutions that the american people can believe in and one of those would be to try to keep prices low for pharmaceuticals. I mean, just so you know, I, I have friends that go down on a regular basis across the southern border. They go into Mexico and buy the same drug for maybe a tenth, the fifteenth, the twentieth of the cost in Mexico, and it's the same same product, same product. Mm, and so there are ways to get at this, and and not the least of which is to really open up the marketplace more and not close it off, which is what Biden's inclined to do. Yeah. No, there's no doubt. Well, we got to keep an eye on that one because it's easy to lose sight of some of the things that are happening. But you've always got your finger on the pulse of the most important issues. And we're so grateful for that. Congressman, I can't thank you enough for the time today and for all the wisdom you shared. And I can't wait to get you back on the show real soon. Yeah, John, it's always good to be with you. Keep fighting the fight, my friend. I will, you sir. Thank you very much. I really appreciate all you're doing as well. Thanks. All right. Well, uh, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. We'll be back with some more news right after this. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, somebody 
running for Congress in the state of Washington, determined to try to help this country get back on the right track. Her name is Dr. Elizabeth Kreiselmeyer. She ran last year in 2020. She's back in the game now because she wants to make a difference in this country. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, John. It's an honor and pleasure to be here. It is an honor to be talking to someone. I have a son who's in special, uh, well, wasn't special, he's still a special needs adult now, but I know you worked in that area of education for a long time. Really thankful for your contribution to that. And also as your contribution as a mom and now as a candidate, how about that? What a, what a career. <laughs> Thank you. Very yeah. exciting. So I always like to ask this question because I get very different answers from different people, but what, what actually motivated you to jump into this? And, you know, Washington's a pretty blue state, but what got you motivated and uh, what's your mission to try to accomplish here with this race? Well, really, John, it's more, it's about the, the love I have for this country. And I have, you know, a love, I would call it a fiercely devoted devotion, fierce devotion as I do for my own son. I'm really running to try to pull the country back from the brink of socialism because that's where we're headed. And I really value, you know, the freedoms uh, that we have, the foundations of our country, the freedoms that we all enjoy. But freedom is fragile. And so we have to fight for it. And I was asked to run in 2020 the first time uh, by people active in the party. I'm not a career politician at all, but I've been active in my community for years and in my field before that. And so they saw something in me, asked me to run. And probably because I'm one of those people that would regularly want to throw my shoes at the television when I see things going on around me that I think are just You're a good company. A lot of people feel that way today. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So just jump, you know, jumping in last time as I did, and I can tell you more about that and how that went. And, and uh, we didn't win, but we made some significant milestones, some progress that hasn't been made in this blue district before. So I was asked to run again and have been, you know, had to consider that, prayed about it, talked with my family, talked with all others, you know, up and down and side to side and green light go. So here we are again. And really it's, I'm running because we're in a bit of an existential crisis, I would say, in this nation, uh, being governed as we are. And I think there's just a a complete overreach on the part of the Biden administration and uh, really just out over their skis. And I think they've overplayed their hand. And there are a lot of people uh, of not just Republicans, as you know, as we would be concerned and alarmed at what we see happening, but even a lot of people, just regular folks in the middle who may not even be that political at all are seeing what's going on around. They're being affected by it every day. And, you know, it's time to push back. I mean, people are waking up to the wokeness and not, you know, we don't want to become uh, a Venezuela. We do not want to become a socialist communist uh, regime, but we've been heading in that direction. So I really do think it's time to pull us back from, from the brink and fight for this country while we still have the chance to do it. And 2022 is, I'm calling it an existential election for that very reason. Well, you had one of my favorite tweets over the weekend, and, and it was a little bit of a spelling bee because it ended with a call. Can we spell hypocrisy? But the real reason, it wasn't to spell it, it was to literally take a look at what Barack Obama did at his home, a maskless 60th birthday party for all of the liberal elite that showed up, 500 guests, 200 employees. Um, and your point is, after a year, a year and a half of preaching to us, mass lockdowns, uh, uh, this was an act of hypocrisy. And if Donald Trump had done it, boy, there probably would have been heck to pay. Uh, what do you see <laughs> what, in this socialist paradigm that are being painted out there? Hypocrisy is one of the big issues, right? There's rules for all of us, and then there's rules for the elitist. And how does that resonate yeah. with your, your constituents? 
Well, I think there's just, yeah, it's it's hypocrisy. It's a double standard. And I've heard it said, you know, if the left didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have any standards at all. And we see that, you know, with, you know, Nancy Pelosi was getting her hair done when the rest right. of us couldn't. And here's Barack partying away with no mask and the rest of us aren't allowed to do that. And just really on every level, we see that Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, same thing. You know, we just see that the rules are for thee and not for me kind of phenomenon playing out. And I think just fundamentally speaking, normal people just looking at life and doing life just kind of that's that's just fundamentally unfair and hypocritical. And I don't think that plays well anywhere. And I don't think it passes the, you know, I am a mom. I'm calling myself a mom on a mission to clean up the house, <laughs> clean up the house.com. Clean up the house.com and that kind of stuff just doesn't pass the mom test. Like, could you get away with that in your own house with your own parents no. or could you, you know, with your own kids? Uh, no. So these kind of things that are being pulled on a daily basis um, are, are just, uh, they're part of the Democrats, uh, I thought, calling the nasty D's, the Democrat deception, distraction, and destruction, and uh, double standards. It's a remarkable time because we hear all the time, rely on the science, trust the science, and then when the science changes, the uh, polit- politicians and elitists who told us to trust the science, they don't adapt, they double down. And so... I want to ask you, you had another tweet this weekend that caught my attention and it's the, the NIH director, you know, wants vaccine passports now. We're all going to have to show proof of whether we're vaccinated. We're going to be divided into two classes, right? The vaccinated, the unvaccinated. You obviously clearly have expressed your opposition to vaccine passports. How do you think this issue plays out in the American public as it gets more and more pronounced in the next few weeks? Well, I think the more people are are forced into something, you know, it's just clearly a violation of our our rights to privacy there, you know, what happened to my body, my choice that the Democrats love to talk about doesn't seem to apply in this case, but, but just that kind of force, the coercion, uh, telling people what to do with their own body, having things injected. There are people that, you know, I'm not against vaccines at all. It's just that this, um, heavy handedness, I guess. And it was interesting. I did come across, uh, I was looking back through some of my opponents' uh, prior votes, and there was something that was passed HR 1153 back in October of 2020, so okay. not that long ago. Yeah, so <laughs> but what it what, what it actually said was that it pertained to I think it was illegals that were being detained in detention centers and their medical care. But uh, this is what it actually said. A quote was that it condemns the performing of unwanted or unnecessary medical procedures on individuals without their fully informed consent. So I was kind of shocked to see that because here we are doing exactly that. They're pushing exactly that. These are are unwanted in many cases and perhaps unnecessary and even harmful in some cases. Uh, medical procedures, people don't, and if they don't want them, they should have the right to make that choice for themselves. I just think that uh, medical care, it's an issue of uh, personal responsibility, privacy, personal decision-making. And in this case, the government has just way overreached. We passed a law called HIPAA that actually protected us from having to give up our medical privacy. But vaccine passports negate that, right? If you have to declare whether you're vaccinated or not, you're giving up a part of that medical privacy that, that was enshrined in the, the law that we now call HIPAA. So it's it, it, these, these double standards and the, 
to change it at a whim when when someone in control wants to get something done. It's really, really, really remarkable. Now, you spent Mm -hmm. a big part of your career focused on education and children uh, and special education, which is very close to my heart because I have a special needs son. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. When you look at what happened the last year in the school district where we didn't teach a lot of kids in classroom for a whole year, and now we're about to go back and there are these uh, mask mandates coming in and teachers talking about, I want to go back to virtual when you look at the education system you're a part of, that you studied, that you tried to help and support, what have you seen when it was put into the crisis of COVID? How did our education system perform for our children? Well, they really uh, failed and derailed, in my in my opinion. I mean, just so many with the closure of schools and everything being done from home and by Zoom. I mean, there's just there were so many deference to that all around. The kids are way behind now and. And just with the mask mandates, which are, you know, physiologically harmful to to, very, to young kids, I saw studies on that and how the, you know, eight-year-old kids were, the, 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 it just, it's, it's just very harmful. So there are a lot of parents are very angry about that. So I think that that was something that was, um, was and continues to be uh, harmful and not handled well at all, mask mandates and so on. But the other thing was, I mean, I guess I would consider this almost like a friend. There's nothing really, there's nothing good about COVID and, and the pandemic and all the aftermath, but except for one thing, that is that, you know, it kind of for a while made homeschoolers of us all. And so people, parents were able to see because their home, kids were home, what their kids are learning, what yeah. they're being taught. And that was an eye opener, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, it's an eye opener. Yeah. And so there are many people kind of like, what you're doing, what? And I think there has been a more concerted effort in the last 10 or 15 years to shield curriculum materials from parental view. Uh, that's been happening for a while on the rise. And now with, for example, critical race theory, by whatever name they choose to call it, it's a divisive, toxic ideology. It's rooted in Marxism, you know, derived from critical theory, which was derived directly from Marxists uh, at the Frankfurt School that immigrated here right. and fled Nazi Germany. They started in 1934 and have been, you know, the there have been, there's been a a burrowing into academia of communist uh, adherence and pushing these kind of ideologies. And it's all just sort of recently surfaced more visibly in the form of CRT, but it's been, there's been things like that going on for a while, but CRT is the most recent evidence of it. And it's just so divisive. I mean, they're teaching kids to hate their country, to hate one another, uh, thinking in terms of oppressed and oppressed, you know, the oppressed and the oppressors. And right. it, it's just, there's nothing good that comes out of that. But the fact that people have started seeing that and protesting it, and we have record numbers of people now running for school boards and, you know, getting involved in their kids' education. And I think that's a good thing. We're waking up and and fighting back, which we, ha- we all have to do. Yeah, and there's no doubt that that movement is palpable. I mean, I haven't seen it like this in all the 30 years I've been in journalism. It's no. It's a real movement. <laughs> It's a uh, really, really get impressive. away from uh, the indoctrination and back to education. And that was something I was even talking about in my 2020 run. It's, it's only more pronounced now. Yeah. Teach them how to think, not, not what to think. And, and uh, what, a, what exactly. an amazing, amazing opportunity to get that corrected in the next year or two. And it seems like that's underway. You have in your platform something that I, you know, should be talked about because it is a crisis in America, but very few candidates that I brought on the show that I've encountered in the, as a reporter are talking about it. And that's curtailing homelessness. And uh, you talk about this because you, it's not just, hey, we're trying to make the suburbs clean or, you know, we, we're trying to get rid of an eyesore. It's because the people that are in these uh, homeless encampments are suffering themselves that it's an, un, you know, an untenable situation 
in America, we're, we're better than that. We should be able to protect it and, and do that. How has that resonated? And why do you think more candidates don't have the courage to talk about this issue? I think it's a matter of focusing on the wrong solutions. I mean, really, this is at its core a humanitarian crisis. So it's basically drug addiction, you know, mental health, people just being on the streets with and living in, in these ways that are just so, so self-destructive and a public health issue for everyone surrounding them, needles on the streets, defecation on the street. I mean, clearly, in my opinion, that should be, there should be two choices. You go to treatment or you go to jail. You cannot just continue to camp out there. And I think it's a misguided compassion to think that allowing people to live in that way is just like a live and let live compassionate solution. No, it's a, it's just a death knell yeah. of people in that situation. It's inhumane. And the homeless yeah. encampment, it's inhumane. So crisis, the housing, homelessness is not in, and at its core, a shortage of housing, so building more tiny houses or whatever else they choose to do and uh, putting people, that, that isn't the solution. The solution is to provide viable options for uh, getting people the treatment that they need to get rehabilitated back, back uh, living healthy, productive lives as citizens again. So and it could be the form of, you know, in Seattle, there's a famous movie or, you know, documentary called Seattle's Dying, and they proposed using McNeil Island as such a place. I've even heard Evergreen College you know, right. is a, another site that's a possible, you know, there needs to be an avenue for folks like that to have at their disposal that they, you know, don't end up in jail, but they end up in a, in a comprehensive treatment sort of environment that can get them from one stage to the next and ultimately to be out living as normal people, yeah. normal lives again. Having, having a productive life every day, which I'm, I'm sure they want. And yeah. they may be caught in a rut or they have issues that need to be addressed. It's just yeah. remarkable because not a lot of people are talking about it. And it is a crisis. You go to any of these major cities, L.A., Seattle, uh, Washington, D.C., it is a real crisis. And at some point, political leaders have to step into the void and say, we got to fix it. we got to stop talking about it or pandering about it or saying, oh, isn't that bad? Well, and they do, and because it can also be, it's like a hiding place. It's a natural hiding place that there's uh, drug trafficking and human sure. trafficking that goes on inside those places because, you know, people aren't going in. So yeah. it's just natural hiding places. Is it okay for me to just talk a little bit about my race and why why we can win this time? I would like to. And also what you learned from the first time running last year, because it's always fun after you've made one run, you, you, you get a better sense of what you want to do and how you might be able to move your district. Tell us about that. Okay. So, yeah, in 2020, as I said, I was a first time candidate. So, you know, zero to Congress in but it's a challenge. But because of my background in, in research and, you know, looking into it, it, I brought skill set that seems to lend itself to this. And we did we did well. We got actually more Republican votes than have ever been gotten in this district by 43,000. I got almost 143 or 170,000, one, two of the six counties, almost three you know, came in with no name recognition through a six-person crowded primary. So this time, and we started about a year ahead and did what we did. Wow. We got 40.5% overall. And then the other counties, as I said, one, two of the other uh, six. But but this time around, you know, I'm starting a year and a half ahead instead of a year ahead. So we've got more time to ramp up. I've got a national team working with me that I found that has a track record. I look for track records. I look for results um, that has a history of flipping, you know, blue seats red and that's what we need to do i'm in a d plus six district so it is flippable under the right circumstances and i would say those are happening right now and coming in with name recognition that i didn't have before and importantly i knew to be focused on the early fundraising with the nrcc the kevin mccarthy's group they have a program called young gun uh where you need to you know they have to decide who are they going to support across the sea of 
candidates across 435 house of races. Of course. And they're good Republicans. <laughs> yeah, they want to get bang for the buck. So they'll only focus on three types of races, you know, incumbent Republicans that need to have help uh, if they're under attack. If there's, uh, you know, close races like the one in our state that's very close, razor thin, they'll focus on close, razor thin margin races. And then from everyone else, they need to look at viability and how do they define that? It's by how much money you raise and how quickly you do it. So they set these targets. First primary is the money primary. Is that what they say? (laughs) It is. So I I met and exceeded my first quarter target. And so now what I like to, you know, put out there is that I am in a blue state, blue district, but it's flippable. And I happen to be, you know, our current representative, Derek Kilmer, votes in lockstep with, you know, the radical elements of his party, AOC and Maxine Waters, the squad, you know, 98%, even Pramila Jayapal, who's our, you know, Seattle congressperson, Mm -hmm. you know, King County and Seattle are not in my district, but he, our current rep, votes as if they were. I mean, he votes 98% with that rep. So I really think that he doesn't represent the needs of this district, the people in the voice of this district. So we need someone else uh, ready for change and deserve a better choice. And so I always say, though, that we're out here on the left coast, but there are conservatives, there are Republicans out here and we need help. So my website is cleanupthehouse.com. And I really would appreciate people who are in districts across the country who are, might be in safe red districts that maybe are doing great, don't need as much help or, or just irreparably, irrevocably blue districts, you know, D plus 20 and above, that it's kind of hopeless. But this is a D plus six and it's doable, it's flippable. I've had a lot of, uh, you know, we did a lot with a little last time on a shoestring of a budget. We got the results we did. So we can do a lot more with a lot more. So I'm in a fundraising mode at the moment and would appreciate anyone's help. Yeah, this is one of those elections next year, too, that will be a bellwether. And, you know, normally history would treat the Republican Party well in, in an off-year election when the Democrats include the uh, have control of the White House and Congress. What really makes this year so interesting is that all the issues that the Democrats have run and now Americans are seeing what that actually looks like, whether it's trillions of dollars of extra spending that runs up the deficit and inflation at the same time, or the critical race yep. area, all those things. Uh, this is the, these sort of D5, D6, D7 uh, districts are going to be in play next year because both history and the perfect storm of the Democratic policy agitating people. They now seeing, well, they, they weren't joking about it. They're really doing this. It really puts these districts They really in, are. And yeah. I think there's, I really do think there's going to be a Biden backlash and there needs to be, we have to push back. Uh, so Biden backlash will come into play. And even just things like, you know, the defunding the police, how, how nonsensical is that? And we yeah. are, you know, we see what happened in Seattle. We're close enough to it to not want to be Seattle and we're not Seattle. And, uh, and so you get the policies being pushed at every level, federal, and in our case, state also are those radical policies that in the case of crime, rising crime, what do they want to do in the face of that? They, you know, they handcuff the police and let the criminals run free. That's, you know, just not doesn't again, doesn't pass the mom test, the common sense test. Yeah, no. And that's what people are begging for right now. Common sense. That's going to be a word, I think. This election in 2020 will turn on. You know, every election turns on a question. You know, when it was Ronald Reagan in 84, is are you better off than you were four years ago, right? It was a question for mm-hmm. Carter beating him in 80, well, 84. For, uh, but do we have common sense? We just want yeah. common sense in Washington. I think the answer is there's not a lot of common sense in Washington right now. No, and we needed people in there with it. You know, and I call myself a constitutional conservative, you know, common sense, committed to results, constitutional a Republican, and I'm not a career politician, and I think that is the difference. I mean, the motivation 
for me doing this is the heart for the, you know, for the America that we love. And I want my kid and other people's kids to grow up into a place that we would recognize. And that's not the case right now. And somebody like uh, my opponent is just having to toe the party line. And as it goes increasingly radical, he just goes right along with it because he wants to advance. And that's what career politicians do. And he's, his voting record has become increasingly radical. Although still, when he's in this district talking with people, he masquerades as a moderate, which I think Joe Biden did as well when he was running. But, you know, the American people are waking up and we don't want this. Uh, we don't really tolerate this bait and switch kind of thing that happens. We want to see people that represent us and what we want you know, the security of the American people, the prosperity of the American people. And then outside of those things, you know, get I'd like to get the other Washington, D.C. out of this Washington state as much as possible. Let our <laughs> live our lives. <laughs> Hence the name. Clean up the house. Uh, makes some sense now. You Cleanupthehouse.com exactly. because yeah. it's full of, uh, I always say it's rife with dirty tricks, foul play, and stinking thinking. So we're going to clean up the house. <laughs> there you go. I used to use that line to clean up my son's room, but it didn't work for me. I don't know. Good luck with that. I hope it works. Yeah. I, I want to ask yeah. you one question because it, it's, you know, when you look back at the 2020 election, I think Joe Biden, for more than any other reason, was hired to get rid of COVID. The Democrats relentlessly attacked Trump, even though he was getting the vaccines into place early. Uh, But now that rosy assessment that, hey, you're not going to have to wear a mask anymore. It's all gone out the window because of the Delta variant. How much does that affect, you know, someone like you running in a swing district? Uh, It it affect your strategy, realizing that the big promises that were made by Joe Biden were maybe sugar pills. He wasn't going to do any better because the virus is taking its own course. Um, uh, Does that play out over the next few months in your district and around the country? Well, yes, it does, just because, you know, as we were talking about earlier, the double standards, and in this case, we're talking about the use of the, the, the capitalization upon, if not manufacturing, of uh, crises to achieve power. I mean, more and more what's showing up is that this um, virus and our response to it has become a great excuse for the left, for those in power, to seize more power, to get more and more control over our lives in ways that don't make sense, even given the real science. I mean, science, unfortunately, in medicine, medicine is just like education, just like anything else has become politicized. And so I, the truth? Yeah. I really think that what I'm, uh, what I'm about my task before me to go from that 40.5 to over 50% to win is what I would call, you know, political evangelizing or constitutional common sense evangelizing, talking to those people that may have always voted Democrat before and maybe trusted that, you know, the government's on their side and trying to just help out. I mean, I think that the, the Derek Kilmer, my opponent, and other uh, Democrats kind of run on what I would call Santa Claus economics. Just promise, 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 promise. You're going to get this check, that check, this program, that program, never thinking about the costs. But now that we're seeing, you know, inflation rising, crime rising, you know, kids being indoctrinated, we just have to come back to the sort of common sense question, you know, are you better off than you were two years ago? And if you're not, maybe reconsider who you're putting in place. Because if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to have a normal life and have the government not just be running every aspect of it and get back to having good jobs, a growing economy, you know, strong school systems and uh, free and fair elections, you know, you go down the line and the Democrats, you know, make things more expensive. They make things more invasive. And just when you start talking with regular people um, doing their just doing their lives, 
I think we do have to have an awakening. I would just call it kind of a constitutional revival of sorts of people need to kind of wake up and come back to what makes America America. And let's get that word out there and then get people in office who will support those things that make us great, the constitutional principles that and the rights that, you know, we all share and the principles that undergird our our country and always have and hopefully always will. But we're we're really at grave risk. So it's time to step up and speak up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you ask, are we better off than we two years ago? People who tell me when I go to the gas station, I don't think so. When I look at the border, I don't think so. When I look at the economic <laughs> indicators, I don't think so. When I look at my city burning from protests, I don't think so. It's going to be a very interesting uh, election. And it's going to actually be for candidates like you really easy, I think, to make a contrast of what we just were and we're, we're what we've mm-hmm. become in a very short period of time. Um, Elizabeth, yeah, how do people One thing follow? real quick oh, yeah. about that. Oh, just one thing I was sure. going to say about contrasting where we were. I mean, this is sort of in a case study research type of world that I was in in education. And there's something called an ABA, you know, there's testing of condition. Right. And in this case, just look back, you know, ABA. We had Obama and what his policies and those with him were promoting. And that was leading to a great decline. And we got Trump was in office and his policies and we were you know on a, on a roll and tearing through records in a good way and achieving prosperity in so many ways and pushing back on terrorism and all the things that we were accomplishing there and then here comes biden you know which is basically obama round two and uh pulling the puppet strings behind biden and it's back to a so it's sort of aba look at look at the pattern here look what you get if you keep doing what you're doing you'll keep getting what you're getting we did make a change when we had Trump in office, and now he's not, and now we have Biden, and it's just reverting back to the original conditions and worse, much worse, than even were taking place under the uh, original quote-unquote transformation occurring under Obama. Yeah, no, it's a really remarkable moment in that A-B testing. We do it in computers. We do it in cars. We do it in everything. <laughs> we got to do it in politics because it'll be a, a much exactly. clearer picture. Exactly. Yeah, such a great point. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth, how do we follow you know, beyond your amazing and easy to remember website, cleanupthehouse.com? How do people follow what you're doing <laughs> on social media, stay in touch with you if they want to donate? What do they do? Appreciate that. Yeah, they can get in touch with me at Elizabeth at cleanupthehouse.com. They can follow me on Facebook at Elizabeth for Congress, F-O-R, Elizabeth for Congress. On Twitter, I'm at Elizabeth for Congress at Clean Up the House. And, you know, I just wanted to say one thing also, because, John, I appreciate what you do. You're a voice of truth and reason and, you know, come what may. And it's it's just so sad, the whole censorship and media bias that's on display amazing, every day. And you are just so refreshing. I love your site, oh, you know, Just the News you. and the interviews that you do and that you're team, you know, the, the work that you're doing. And I was following you even when you're doing the Russia collusion, oh, all yeah. that, that you were exposing. Yeah. So my hat's off to you because it takes guts and you're you're in the fight. And thank you. Thank well, you so much. For it's what you an do. honor. You know, it's it's about being for truth. And, and I know you're committed to that. I'm committed to that. And many others are. And I think there's a, a moment in history where there's a party right now that thinks you can pull the wool over the American people's eyes. They are going to be surprised because the American people are way smarter, way smarter. I think and, so. I think yeah. they're not going to see it coming because they're yeah. just uh, they're, they're not. You, it's called hubris. You know, there's this pride that they have that they think that they're in large and in charge and always will be. But hey, you know, the only one large and in charge that I know of God himself. And, you know, I'm going to play to that audience of one uh, that I tell my son to do. And we're going to do what's right and stand for the truth. Uh, come what may, just as you're doing. Those are good values. That's why America has been so great for so long. Elizabeth, thanks so much for the time today. We're so excited by uh, the, this upcoming election. We're all going to be watching it closely. And I hope that we can get you back on the show as the year unfolds. 
so much, John. Really appreciate it. Uh, it was Take a care. Real honor. You too. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, it's time to wrap things up for the day. We'll be right back right after this great advertising message. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. All right, folks, that wraps it up. It is time for the weekend, and have we earned it? I mean, we've earned it. It is time to kick our legs back, maybe take a swim in the swimming pool, throw some of those Kansas City steaks on the grill. Oh, yeah, I know what. Grab one of Annie's Kit Club kits and do something with your children your grandchildren and then donate it to a wounded warrior or another great cause i have all sorts of great ideas fiddle with your new freedom phone eric finman's made a great phone enjoy the privacy settings enjoy the free speech apps that are endemic on there that's a good idea and if that isn't enough to keep you busy well you can always check out justthenews.com for our breaking headlines whenever you want we got you covered seven days a week 24 7 All right. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. We'll be back Monday with another great show. Until then, let's have a very blessed weekend.